So I just want to go over some basics because I talk a lot in my podcast about various programs and terms and what I'm leaning toward with uh, positive discipline. But I can't assume that everybody who is listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. So when I talk about the restorative justice model, I talk about a model that is borrowed from many other disciplines besides education. And the restorative model speaks about individuals coming together as groups to undo harm that was done amongst one or two individuals or even a group or even society and to restore relationships back to where they started. There's an element of peacekeeping to restorative justice. There's an element of uh, making things right. There's an element of creating positive relationships and positive culture. And this underlies a whole philosophy in uh, social justice and criminal justice where a victim and offender get together and they speak things out and they come to a conference. Sometimes there's a mediator. Often there's um, a group of neutral individuals and the person who does the offense makes restitution to the person who's harmed. Now, in the broader sense, later on, restorative practices came out of this restorative justice movement. And restorative practices is even more expansive. And restorative practices means to practice the art of being restorative. To practice the art of being restorative means to intentionally build positive culture, to nurture relationships, to mediate conflicts, to build esteem in the individuals within the culture that we're speaking about, whether it's a school culture or whether it's an agency or whether it's a workplace. So the restorative practices movement became expansive and all uh, there's many, many forms of restorative practice, one of which is called the circle practice. And the circle practice has just expanded to the point where circles are used for so many things. And I'm in the process of writing a book about restorative classroom management. However, the restorative circle practice is something that is so uh, expansive that it goes back in history, back, 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 back in history, back with roots in ancient culture where people would learn to communicate with each other, learn to make bond with each other, learn to resolve problems with each other. And the reason that I decided to make this a focus in terms of classroom management is because I believe that students and teachers need to build relationships and build community in the classroom. Now, a little bit about my history. I didn't always believe this. I was always a creative person, but I entered school discipline and as a teacher and as a dean in a time when things were more disciplinary in terms of top-down discipline where the teacher 
would give the students directives and the students would follow the directives. And if they didn't go along with the directives, there would be a consequence. And often the consequence would be to send the student to a counselor or a dean or take away something that they like. And those practices are still useful. There's nothing wrong with them, except that the, the new thrust of restorative practices opens up the doorway for teachers to build relationships to uh, change the dynamics in the classroom where students have more of a say in what happens in their own learning. And they have a chance to be accountable for their behavior. And people might say, well, this is not possible. This cannot happen. And I've seen it happen even before I knew a thing about restorative practices, because if you're a teacher who sets a tone where you work things out and teach students to talk things through and reflect on their behavior, this can happen. It's just not something that is so mainstream that we think about it every day. The restorative practices movement brought this out so that students could stop getting suspended or sent out of the classroom. Now, this came about as a result of Many students being sent out of the classroom, students of color, students with disabilities, students who are always getting you know, on the dean's list, not in a good way, but on the dean's list in a bad way. So the restorative practices movement took off in little pockets around the country. And I'm not going deeply into the history. I'm just giving you a definition of what it is. And sometimes it would take off in, in the sense in, in counseling offices and counselors would use conflict resolution or conflict mediation, which isn't the purest view of restorative practices, but it's the same concept in terms of students learning to work things through with one another or learning to deal with their feelings and talk things out so that they wouldn't have a conflict with a student or a teacher. This was always a, a counselor sort of role, but the roles are becoming such that teachers are getting more involved with restorative practices, thinking restoratively in the classroom so that they can build a sound classroom management plan and thinking about ways that they can also bring restorative practices into the whole school community. Sometimes it comes from the leadership. Most of the time it does because the leadership might promote this kind of thinking. But sometimes it even comes from an individual teacher's classroom if they have that personality. And I did a switcheroo when I was a teacher and I went from a teacher who was top down and yelling and carrying on to a teacher who was more restorative. And this happened as I approached administration, but I also am a pretty creative person. So it was kind of my way of dealing with not sending students out and not being punitive and not using methods that just weren't uh, working or they weren't right. So there's always some talk in the field about restorative practices versus PPIS, and um, there's always that um, going on. So I, I want to talk about the fact that both of them are positive culture. So I will talk about that in the next episode. Thank you very much.